You're listening to Impulse to Innovation. The Institution of Mechanical Engineers podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Helen Mees. As a global community of mechanical engineers with over 120,000 members in 140 countries, the Institution of Mechanical Engineers has been at the heart of the engineering profession since 1847. The Institution's mission is to improve the world through engineering by sharing the latest news, views and insight into the creative world of technology and the people that make it happen. While the IMACI is recognised as a charitable organisation, you may not be aware that it does own a number of businesses. These wholly owned subsidiaries have been acquired by the Institution over many years and specialise in learning and development providing training and expert knowledge to engineers all over the world. One of these businesses is Imaki Argyle Ruane, a world-renowned non-destructive testing, corrosion and coatings training and consultancy based at the heart of Yorkshire steel industry, Sheffield. Non-destructive testing is an invaluable tool which enables engineers to look inside materials to find out if they have defects not visible to the naked eye. In this month's episode, I spoke with two of IAR's training team to find out more about the role they play in providing this invaluable service to the engineering community and what is involved in the training itself. The Institution of Mechanical Engineers acquired Argyle Ruane in 2012, but the company itself has been serving the engineering community since 1985. During its 30-odd years, Argyle Ruane has certified thousands of engineers in different aspects of NDT, corrosion and coating examination and testing, and has issued over 15,000 qualification certificates. The IMAKE Argyle Ruane Engineering Training Centre opened its doors in August 2015 at the Sheffield Business Park, where some of the world's leading engineering organisations are also based. The training team, led by General Manager Chris Kirby, are a highly skilled group of engineers with over 150 years of engineering experience between them. But they are also extremely proud to be passing that knowledge on to the next generation of engineers and have several apprentices working in the team who hope to carry on Argyle Ruane's impressive traditions. My first guest is trainer Christian Beaver. Christian joined IAR as an NDT apprentice and completed a three-year NDT engineering technician apprenticeship in August 2021. He is now fully qualified to teach students in personnel certification for non-destructive testing level two, which includes magnetic and penetrant testing, ultrasonic testing of wells, nozzles, nodes and T's. I began by asking Christian, where did the name Argyle Ruan actually come from? Christian, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I'm I'm really pleased to have you on. Um, so where does the name Argyle Ruan come from? Um, it's it's long before my time. I believe Ruan was the name of 
but someone that created or started the company. Uh, I would have to double check this, but I believe that's where it comes from. Uh, and I believe that Argyle was a name chosen when obviously the phone books were around, so that they were near the beginning. Obviously, you know, <laughs> right. um, that would be something that would be worth double checking. But I'm I'm ninety percent sure that's what it was. Is that the rain started here, um, and then Argyle was chosen because it was just closer to the front of the alphabet for the phone books i i think even if that is just a you know a an urban legend i think that is what we should just go with oh it's a very Let, good let's story. just say yeah. that that's that's actually the real story yeah. <laughs> i think I that's great we'll just change it anyway if it wasn't that we'll do it now that's it so can you tell us a little bit about about your engineering journey and and how you came to have a career in non-destructive testing um, yeah, of course I can. So my sort of engineering journey started off when I did my um, A-levels at college. I did uh, maths, physics, economics, and I did an, an AS in chemistry. Um, and throughout my A-levels, I always wanted to go into some form of engineering. And sort of at the end of those A-levels, the choice was between a university and trying to get a degree that way or trying to go into that apprenticeship route um, and I was one of the few people that decided to go in that way um, but like I said all the way through even my GCSEs and my A-levels I want to do some form of engineering. So you know how did you end up doing non-destructive testing because that's that's quite a specialist route right? It most certainly is it's as simple as um, I have a older brother that also by chance ended up in uh, non-destructive testing uh, when he was younger right um, and throughout all of this it was sort of considered he's sort of more of a hands-on sort of person as I'm a bit more um, academic but then when this sort of job here came up which is a bit of both a bit of engineering a bit of teaching and that was ideal because teaching was also something I had considered during my um, A levels uh, yes yeah, so that's sort of how I knew about NDT um, but like I said being from sort of Sheffield and the local area being engineering um, when I was doing my A levels as well I think there was only I think three or four of us that didn't go into university and by chance three of us all ended up in NDT anyway so it's <laughs> right. uh, just yeah the local area breeds engineering anyway I think. Well I am a Sheffield girl despite having lost my Yorkshire accent um, a little bit because I've lived in Leicestershire for a long time now but my dad worked in the pits so you know that community of engineers that sort of uh, every family member was an engineer <laughs> or some kind of related to some of the the heavy engineering or manufacturing around, in and around Sheffield for me. So yeah, it was a big influence for me too. So Christian, you did a three-year NDT apprenticeship, didn't you? So w- what was it that made you choose that, that kind of route to go down? And you know, what's the difference between the kind of the apprenticeship offerings that you could have possibly taken um and what aspect of the course did you enjoy the most um so i believe sort of the first decision when choosing apprenticeship over university was i was looking at a, a lot of friends and stuff who were slightly older that done university and older people that have been spent the years there got the degrees and come out of that not really knowing what to do at the end of it having no real experience in the work they're doing as well, other than theoretical. So when choosing the apprenticeship, I wanted something where not only did I learn the theory and all of that stuff behind it, but 
I was able to at least see and do what I'm doing. Like you say, if you have older family members in certain industries, uh, you hear a lot of the time them saying about people coming into jobs, having the qualifications, but not knowing what they're doing. So I thought an apprenticeship would be a better way to try and gain that experience. As you said, there's multiple different types. Um, So I did an apprenticeship through Skills Training UK, um, who help apprentices go through an apprenticeship scheme in non-destructive testing. I did the Level 3 Apprenticeship Uh, which is the NDT Engineering Technician. Um, That gave me three level two NDT qualifications, um, as well as an NVQ in business improvement techniques. So that's what I went for. Um, They do a level two apprenticeship, which is, I believe, just one NDT qualification. um, And they do a level six apprenticeship, which is the NDT Engineer, which I believe is degree-based. So they go and do the degrees through that. Biggest challenge through that um, as someone who hasn't really worked obviously a lot in industry coming in as apprenticeship straight through um, would probably be the business improvement sort of techniques part of it in that you have to find sort of parts of the business that aren't sort of optimal and try and improve those but when you don't have the most experience it's quite a struggle it's very good and you learn a lot from it but just trying to improve certain aspects uh, was quite a challenge through that. Yeah. I, I must admit, looking back over my career, I wish I had had that opportunity to, to do an apprenticeship myself. My, mine was very much, as you said at the beginning, you know, kind of forced down the A-level route, which was really not for me. I'm a very hands-on kind of practical person and learn much better that way than sitting exams. So it, it sounds like a it sounds like it was a really enjoyable time for you. What what aspect of it did you enjoy the most? To be honest, I think the people, uh, especially here in this business where we teach a lot of people from industry and they come in and they share stories and stuff like that, um, as well as the experience I gained here, I got to learn from a lot of people from I guess the same industry but different aspects of that. Yeah. Um, and we have sort of many different people working here that have different experiences. So you not only learn what's necessary, but you get to learn extra bits that are interesting and very useful throughout that. And I like that aspect of speaking to people and learning the differences and what they do and all that sort of stuff. So that's probably what I enjoy most. Um, about being here. Yeah, I, I enjoy the teaching side of, of what I do as well. And uh, it is really nice. You learn so much, don't you, from from other people's experiences and, and sort of anecdotes that um, you can kind of build your own experiences from, which is really quite cool. Yeah, I fully agree. Like I say, I'm uh, by no means think that I know everything. In fact, I know very little compared to a lot of people that come in here like I say, experience-wise, as much as I'm teaching them, but there'll be people in here that have been doing non-destructive testing for longer than I've been alive. And I I don't say that jokingly. I do have that quite often. Um, So that you get a nice sort of rapport there in that you're helping them, but then they're also speaking to you and and all that sort of stuff. And you'd learn a lot through most of those, yeah. Well, that kind of leads me nicely onto onto my next question, really, because obviously... uh, doing an apprenticeship you you're obviously doing the study in the classroom work and you're also you know on the job doing the the actual physical work as well so what do you think um were the most valuable lessons you kind of learned during that time and how does that relate to what you're doing today the most valuable lessons during that um, were going on site and doing actual non-destructive testing. I say actual non-destructive testing because we do do that here, but because it's a classroom environment, it's a lot of classrooms, the uh, sort of materials we work with are a lot nicer to work with. So it's not as sort of nitty gritty as 
sort of on-site working. So to be able to go out on-site for a few months doing actual NDT work, to gain that experience, to help me then teach when I come back here in the future, um, was probably the most useful uh, and very enjoyable. However, most NDT apprenticeships uh, are less based like that. They work at an NDT company and, and do that from them. For those, uh, the most enjoyable part, well, obviously I can't fully speak for them, but like I said, I did very much enjoy the business improvement. Um, and I guess especially when you're younger, it's something you might not think too much about. Yeah. But as you start getting older or you start working longer, you look at things that you want to change. And rather than just morning party, you get up and you can actually go and change them and make changes to that. And it actually makes your life a lot easier yeah. further down the line. It must be really great to see lots of new apprentices coming through like you did. So what does your job involve today as, as an NDT trainer? And, and how important is it to provide training, not just to the NDT community, but to the engineering profession as a whole? So yeah, my job involves uh, training up NDT sort of operators and um, whether they be apprentices or sort of anyone coming into the industry um, up to a sort of qualification of a level two um, in NDT um, and I teach three subjects um, one is PT or dye penetrant um, just briefly you paint some dye on a surface it gets sucked in for during reasons into defects you then spray what's called a developer on there and that brings the penetrant out, and you can see a nice line where the defect is. That's one of them. Um, I do MPI, uh, which is magnetic particle inspection, which involves inducing a magnetic field into a magnetic material, um, and wherever there are breaks in the material there, you get what's called a flux leakage that attracts small sort of particles to that area, so you can see that area there of cracks, and they have to be surface breaking. The last one I do is ultrasonic testing, which is uh, sort of one of the earlier forms of sort of like baby scans, where you go for an ultrasound. There are sort of more complicated methods, which do put a nice image up on the screen for you, but that one's a bit more complicated, but it involves sending sound um, through a material. Um, so those are the three sort of that I teach, and I do get sort of quite a few apprentices coming through. All, well, most very young, most very eager. We've had one in the past couple of weeks, so only 16, come straight out of school. Just pure effort. It's just, that's all you see um, from them. Um, but the sort of the job is teaching them both the theoretical of how things work, aspects of the job, as well as showing them how to be able to test materials, to be able to find defects over the course of um, sort of a week for MPI and DiPen, um, and it's a three-week course um, for ultrasonics, um, and to be able to get them to be able to then go out on site and be able to test things. As for how important it is, if we have no training, there are no qualified operators and there is no non-destructive testing. Um, and non-destructive testing is one of those things that most people never think about and you don't hear about, but it's used on everything from cars to planes to bridges. It's just checking that things aren't broken before they get put in. So if there's no non-destructive testing, you can have cracked bridges, faulty planes, faulty car parts, anything. It's one of those things that is very important. We just don't think about it day to day. 
Yeah, I, I must admit, in my career as an engineer, I have used NDT testing on many occasions, whether that's actually going to people like yourself who are experts who who can do it for me, or actually try, I, I had a go with a dye penetrant uh, many, many years ago. And, and it's absolutely invaluable to problem solving, isn't it? it to, to understanding what failures may have occurred or may occur. Uh, and, and that's a really fundamental part of what we do as engineers, I suppose, isn't it? Uh, yeah, like you say, especially on the engineering part of it for that working out what's gone wrong. So there's the testing stuff that's in surface and uh, service and just seeing if it's broken. Um, but there is, like you say, if you work at a forge or a foundry and you keep testing the same part and the same things going wrong with it, what can we then do to fix that or what yeah. problems are occurring to try and solve that? And like I say, for an engineering point of view, that's probably the most invaluable because it means you can stop the problem before it starts if you can figure it out yeah, the first absolutely. time. So I know you're still very much in your early career, but you know, looking back on your career so far, what advice would you give to a young person, a young self or or even to anyone really who's considering maybe a career change to come into a career like NDT? My advice for young people, especially ones finishing their GCSEs that aren't sure what they do, is just to look into apprenticeships, see what's around you, see what's there. I go backwards and forwards constantly on whether I should have done my A-levels or should have looked for an apprenticeship beforehand because as much as I enjoyed my A-levels and stuff I don't massively use them they help for what I'm doing here but an apprenticeship sort of gets your foot in the door that much earlier um, you gain the experience you sort of know what's happening and you will be qualified and working to a decent level before most people have finished their A-levels or especially degrees and stuff like that um, and like I say I've lots of friends that are at university now that have done degrees and stuff like that and are finished and they go well what now because they're still not sure it's just everyone sort of gets pushed into that a levels route and then to that degree route and no one really talks about apprenticeships very much um, which is something that it does irk me slightly because i can't recommend apprenticeships enough for young people um, as for ndt specifically like I say, young people wanting to get into NDT specifically. Skills Training UK, you speak to those, either they will sort of find a business near you or if you've got a business in mind and they'll try and set up an apprenticeship scheme with them and you. You do all your practical sides at work and they come in and do all the theoretical and all that sort of stuff. And it's it's amazingly organised for apprentices to come through yeah. and go through that route to be able to get those qualifications. I'll make sure we put those links up um, that you mentioned there to to those apprenticeship sites, so our listeners can have a look and and see what it's all about, and also uh, to to some of the I'm a Keys links on apprenticeships. So, one final question for you: Are you taking a chartered route to become an Eng Tech, or are you already an Eng Tech? I will be going towards that route at some point. Um, I'm wanting to focus more on my job now, get that nailed down. Yeah. And then once that sort of becomes fully second nature, um, we can go on to sort of a, a degree level sort of route there. Um, so sort of I'm classed as an engineering sort of technician, but I would like to take that further throughout that. Like I said, the apprenticeship I did was the engineering technician sort of route um but i know skills offer a, a degree level one which is based in ndt um, and i will 
hopefully do that in the future. Well, we wish you all the luck uh, in the future. Uh, and when you've, when you've got that, maybe you can come back on the show and tell us a little bit more about that route that you went through to, to get your Eng Tech. Christian, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. I, I, it's been really fascinating to hear not only about NDT itself, but your, your journey through uh, the apprenticeship route. So thanks very much for sharing that with us. Oh, thank you very much for having me. It's been very enjoyable. My second guest is Mick Mullins. Mick is a level three consultant at IAR and has over 40 years experience in non-destructive testing. His knowledge spans across a multitude of testing methods, including magnetic particle, penetrant testing, visual and ultrasonic testing, phase array and time of flight diffraction. Mick also holds a BSc in non-destructive testing. His role involves supporting clients to ensure their NDT departments are compliant with industry standards. I asked Mick, what got him interested in NDT? Mick, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. I'm really pleased that you've been able to join me. Now, before we get into the nitty gritty of NDT analysis, let's talk a bit about your journey. Kind of what led you into a career in NDT and what do you most enjoy about the role that you do now? Um, I got into NDT by accident. The company that I was working at at the time, uh, I, I worked on machines. They didn't have enough work on the machines and they asked me if I wanted to try uh, on inspection at the time and then went into there to fill in. And then the uh, the foreman there asked me if I was in, interested in NDT and I suppose the rest is history. <laughs> so it was kind of, you kind of fell into it really by accident. Yeah, and, and I think most people, if you ask them of, of my age, will probably say exactly the same because when you're at school, they didn't bring NDT. You, d- you didn't really know what NDT was yeah. at, at the time. It's only as years have progressed on that we've actually brought it more to the forefront, shall we say. And I think it does get mentioned in schools. Now, I've certainly been in a few schools to, to do some demonstrations and things like that. So yeah. Well, I must admit, it wasn't something even that I came across uh, until I got into industry. You know, I, I'd never really heard of it in at university as such and certainly never done it I did a little bit of work in my in my job when I was in industry but that was the first time I'd ever come across it so it, it's it's really interesting to hear that you kind of fell into it as well <laughs> now in my introduction to today's show I, I've talked a little bit about Argyle Ruane its history and you know when it became part of the Amic East corporate arm but can you tell our listeners a bit more about the type of work that IAR do and the various types of NDT testing? We basically it's split up into three sections. There's a level three services, which is the department I work for, and then we have training and exams, uh, and then we have another one called ICOR, which is, is like paint inspection. Right. If we look at overall, what, what I presume most of the listeners will be, will be aware of is our training. Now, we, we, we do training on uh, probably the, the, the main five or six methods in NDT, which is magnetic particles testing, penetrant testing, visual testing, ultrasonic testing, radiography, and eddy current. 
So they're, they're the main five or six methods that, that Argyra Waynes uh, teach. There are other methods, but, but we, we don't really get involved in any of them as such. Right. And, and, and other than that, that, that's probably what most of the listeners uh, will be familiar with what we do. I remember doing the, the paint. That, yeah. Yeah, and, and having a go at that and, and then cleaning it off and seeing where the cracks were in, in metal and stuff. That's, that's the penetrant. Yeah. 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 But the, the ultrasonic side of things, that's, that's, it's quite advanced really isn't it it's it's quite a, a useful tool though in in engineering it, it is ultrasonics is um i think it started way back in the probably 40s or something like that but th- that side of it that that what we call manual ultrasonics hasn't really changed a great deal other than that the electronics has brought it more up to date and the newer techniques within ultrasonics like phased array and toft uh, they are able to put the scans together to create pictures. So if I can liken it to uh, like if you go to hospitals and you have an ultrasound and things like that, you see the picture. Yeah. Well, it, it's exactly the same as that, what, what we do on metals. And, and, it, and it's actually the same principles that's filtered down from the medical industry into NDT. So it's, it's them that what, what we use. It, that's really fascinating because I work in, in that biomedical community these days. And so, so you know, I can kind of imagine Imagine in my head how that might look, how that imagery yeah. might look. And it, it can make a big difference, can't it, to being able to see through, you know, layers of, of say, a machine or, or an object to be able to see what's going on inside. It definitely does, definitely. And then it gives you uh, more confidence in, because previously in, your, in the ultrasonic operators will, will, will be able to uh, liken it to it, that when you're scanning something manually, as we call it, uh, you're looking on a trace on a screen and you're having to decipher what the signal is as to regards what type of defect it could or could not be. Uh, but when you get these new advanced systems, they, they put all that together and give you, a, uh, certainly it's a 2D picture and the more modern expensive ones can give you the 3d picture where you can maneuver it and look round things and yeah it's fascinating it really is so what is your typical sort of day-to-day role then i know that you have driven all the way down from scotland over the last 24 hours and and uh, and you've been delivering training up there but what's your sort of typical role and 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 what do you enjoy most about what you do uh, phew, that's it's very varied as roles, I suppose. I, well, this week I've uh, run a course for uh, we, we've got a new centre opened up in Scotland. Yeah. And I've, I've actually run a visual testing course for, I think there was nine, eight on it. Uh, and they, they're having their exams today. Right. Uh, and I've taught the course Monday to, to Thursday type thing. I, I probably don't run that many courses uh, as such. I, I'm, I'm more with the, the level three services. Uh, in, in that we go out to, to customers to advise them on, uh, so, so say they have to work to some standards for, for an order that they've won, and that might involve NDT. Uh, and, and as part of some of the standards, they have to employ what they call a level three NDT. Oh, I see. And uh, be, because the, the, that can be, become quite expensive to solely employ it at that company, and there's probably not enough work for the person to be there. What we do, we offer a service that, that they can employ us to fulfil that part of the standard, right. uh, and we go in and, and guide them. And Initially, I dare say we'd probably spend a few days at that company to, to, to get things right, and then periodically, or over a, a, the couple of months or so, we'd pop in from time to time to make sure it was all running okay, that type of thing. So that, that type of work, 
I probably I, I probably got uh, 20 to 22 customers that I have to do that on on a quite a regular basis. Right. Uh, we we do what we call surveillances on operators, uh, and that's part of the company that we work for. Do a lot of work for the American Navy. Right. And and and, and the standards that they work to is that they have to have performance demonstrations done, uh, and we we go in and verify them that type of thing. And and it, it is quite varied. To be fair, it's it's hard to to put a, a words to something that I do when you know I, if I sat back and thought about it, I thought, oh yeah, there's this, this, and this. But <laughs> yeah. it just it just you know. When you're on the spot, it's quite difficult sometimes. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like what you do, you really love. But it, the the work that you're you're doing is kind of that role is kind of a consultancy role almost, oh, and, and an auditing yeah. an auditing kind of role as well. Is, is, would that be fair to say? Exactly that. Yeah, so we we do we act as consultants for for the uh, for the company that employers to be their level threes. Yeah. So. Uh, you know the training that you've gone through then over the mm-hmm. years to to get to that level of expertise that mm-hmm. that must have been quite a lot of uh, you know work that you've had to do to to develop that knowledge and be able to retain it so that you can go out and advise customers that that's true i suppose um, as as regards experience wise i've i've been in in, in the industry many many years um, I, I dread to think when did i get into it? into the the late 80s when i first started right. uh, and 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 as t- to become a level three, you, you, you just don't become it. You have to, uh, you, you, how can I say, you have like a, a path to follow. You have to get various levels and, and there's various NDT level three qualifications as well. So I, I guess I've gained them probably over, uh, I, I would guess over a 10-year period to, to get to, to where, then, then, then you have to, keep on top of them then by re-examining you know we have to go to various places to keep them in certification you know that type of thing. Yeah I was going to ask you that you know how do you how do you then go about maintaining your standard because obviously as engineers we have to maintain our professional development don't we and and we do that continually through our working lives but but you must then be having to learn new standards and new regulations that are coming in do you go through a process of that over a a period of time? we have like five-year periods for each, for each individual method, uh, and what happens is, is at the end of that five-year period, we go to a, another NDT school. Uh, we can't we can't go to a self unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. We have to go to another one, and we we just sit at another exam to to keep it to to keep it rolling type yeah. thing. The exam would ideally be set up that if there's any changes in them standards, them common standards for that method, it would be encompassed into that uh, exam type thing. Yeah, absolutely. Now, obviously, the the majority of industries that, that you work in and, and probably are the most familiar, I suppose, with testing and NDT is the oil and gas industry, you know, the car industry, aerospace. How is NDT developing? Are, are other industries starting to adopt the methodologies to, to be able to look at, at problems uh, within, you know, pieces of equipment that they might be building or so on? And, and, and what sort of changes are you seeing in the industry going forward? Well, uh, you're right in saying that we're doing work with, with aerospace companies. We do a, a lot of oil and gas work, petrochemicals, power plants things like that uh, but i would imagine if you're if you're talking about new types of work coming in well, i'm on a working group at the moment that that's looking at composites for certifying them the, although they they do use a lot of the uh, technology that we use on metals the one that i'm looking at at the moment is for marine 
uh, and it's to to test that the, the yachts are still you know sound and worthy and things like that. Yeah, the the nature of composite materials is such that it's not as homogenous, I suppose, as as a piece of metal, is it? So it, it isn't. I'm guessing you're having to change the way that you work and the way that you understand the material to to try and identify where failure points might be. It, it is, and, and I think the the. Um... The, the, the thing that we're looking at more often is obviously newly manufactured uh, composites, but it, it, it's also the, the, the next step would be, or in fact, it, it is being done, it is to look at how if they get damaged because that damage presents itself in a different way to what it would do in the uh, steel or metals, yeah. which we're commonly familiar with. So, and, and it's getting to understand how that, that that presents itself when you, it might not be the 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 techniques and, and the methods that we use for metals. It might not be applicable, or, or, or it displays itself differently in composite type materials. Say you've got um, something that's had some impact damage. On, on composites, it'll spring back to its normal shape and you won't know. So the layers underneath it, you're not going to know if they've been damaged or structurally unsound or, or things yeah. on that nature. As regards with the metal, you'd see that there would be a big dent in it, you know, so it'd give you an idea. So, you, you, uh, uh, so you, you'd be looking for, like, I suppose, bruising and things like that on it. Yes, I suppose with with a composite material, something that's that's fibrous, it's not going to be a, a definitive crack, is it? You're going to no. get it spreading through it, the it material does, and through the does, layers. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm guessing. I mean, coming back to what we were saying about your your continuous learning and and yeah. developing that that's a whole new sphere for you and and the team to to have to you know study yourselves to to get confident in it. It, it is, yeah. Yeah, it is. It's for the company as well itself, you know. Uh, it is it, a massive new step for us. And it, it's something that I think there's quite a few people who are looking forward to it and going to enjoy it as well. You know, it's, it, it's, it keeps your the grey matter in your in your mind ticking over, looking at no different ways in which defects or, or sort of them type of things present yeah, themselves. Yeah, really. I, think, I think that's what gets us passionate so much about engineering, isn't it? It is, yeah. It's the next big challenge. How are we going to solve? And today, while we're recording, today is World Engineering Day. So it's quite nice to be talking about that passion that we have for, for solving problems and understanding. I've always had a fascination for why things break. So, mm-hmm. so it's really nice to hear just, you know, how much you're doing to, to kind of learn and develop your knowledge to be able to pass that on to other yeah, engineers, yeah. To make sure that we can keep, you know, the world running, That's as it right, were. Yeah, yeah. Keeping it safe. <laughs> well, Mick, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. It's taken me back to my early days as a young engineer um, and learning about all of these things. But also, I think what it shows is the 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 lens that engineers will go to to solve problems and and to ensure that we can keep the world ticking over and making sure that all of that technology continues to work uh, and is effective. And we couldn't do that without what you guys do. So thank you so much for talking to me today. No problem, Alan. Thank you. That's all for this month. In next month's show, we will be celebrating all things STEM learning. As I record today's show, it is World Engineering Day. But during March, we also celebrate British Science and Engineering Week, which is a wonderful opportunity for children to experience the amazing world of science and technology, how it changes their lives on a daily basis, and what amazing careers they too could have in the future. 
On the 24th of March, the iMechE is launching its fantastic new initiative, Elevating Engineering, which aims to focus on how engineers can respond to delivering the institution's mission to improve the world through engineering. The event, which will be attended by MP Amanda Soloway, Lord Commissioner of Her Majesty's Treasury and former Science Minister, and will see the unveiling of a brand new iMechE STEM Ambassador induction video and exciting new web resources. We will be speaking with Yelena Gassessa, who spearheaded the Elevating Engineering project, and we will be finding out more about the iMechE's education theme for 2022. You've been listening to Impulse to Innovation, the Institution of Mechanical Engineers podcast. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear from you. So if you'd like to share any news or any feedback with us, then please email us, podcast at imechee.org. All the information on this episode can be found in the episode notes.